so I did something that was a, like a little bit weird, um, but I um, I stressed that it was totally voluntary and, and anyone was totally free to not do it. But if they did want to play my game and they were uh, okay with this, I would like to leave my camera recording them playing it. <laughs> so it was literally just a camera on a tripod behind them and it would, it would record the screen and also them a little bit um, so that if I could see what they were doing in the game and I could also see how they were reacting to it in real life, which is really good feedback. But it did feel... Um, they were all happy with it. Everyone seemed fine with that. Um, but then watching it back, I started to feel like the world's biggest creep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of spying on my friends playing my own game. This is really strange. It's not everyone, but there have been plenty of games writers or journalists that have gone over to the other side, so to speak, uh, where they go from writing about games to making games. And it always makes me curious about how much of what I do for a living or what they did for a living actually translates to the other side of the street. And it made me really excited to sit down and talk to Tom Francis, who was the sole designer of Gunpoint, a really excellent super fast, super smart 2D action puzzle game that came out back in June. If you haven't played it, I cannot recommend it more highly. It's absolutely one of my favorite games this year. And he, for a long time, was a writer at PC Gamer over in the UK. And his first game was Gunpoint. He had been thinking about making games for a very long time. And then while PC Gamer started dipping into it, working with a development suite for newcomers called Game Maker, inspired by games like Spelunky, which was actually made in Game Maker, and uh, Darwinia, which was sort of a early indie darling in the UK. Uh, so as part of an article that just went up on the site, I had a chance to sit down and talk with Tom for a pretty lengthy period of time, where we go over a bunch of stuff about game development and working in the games press that didn't even make it into the story. So I'll throw it over now to uh, my conversation with Tom, and again, uh, highly recommend that you check out Gunpoint. But, <laughs> so you, yeah, I mean, you're... You're all games now, right? Like you're you're not in the press anymore. You're not writing. You're you're doing just the the game development thing. Yeah, for right now, um, I'm not like ruling it out. I'm probably going to do some kind of um, writing about games in some capacity, but I'm not sure what yet. But it's mostly you know it's it, rather than doing it out of service of uh, needing to do so for a livelihood. It's more if you've got something to say or want to keep doing it, that's just an option. Yeah, exactly. You you suddenly. Um dramatically reprioritize all the kinds of games writing you're going to do when you realize you no longer need to do it for money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you start writing, you know, about the stuff you give a shit about as opposed to, uh, you know, you know, whatever is best for traffic or what people are talking about that day or, or all sorts of other considerations that, that certainly play into it. Yeah. And stuff like, um, I mean, I was never like big into reporting news particularly. I didn't really like that part of it, but, mm -hmm. um, now, since I don't need to do it for a living, I probably will never write another news story. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, whereas... you know, I mean, I, I'm lucky enough that I get to at least, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't sit around rewriting press releases all day, but I, uh, I, yeah, that part of that grind can certainly be some of the worst parts of, of doing this gig as, as nice as it can be sometimes. Yeah. It, it's the, 
it's the times when you don't feel like you've added anything to it like all the information that you have is what's already out there and all you have to report on it because you kind of you know it's weird if your outlet doesn't report on that story but you don't have any inside information and you just have to say well this happened <laughs> yeah and then you know it, i always find it kind of strange when you have some of the places where you know they they do the story and then at the end is like our take because it's like 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 i don't blame them for doing that but it's i can understand the thought process being like dear god why did we write this up we did it because we had to now i guess i have to make sure i have an opinion on it and just <laughs> you know I, I've, I've done this for years i i know how this rodeo goes um but so when you when you started thinking about or i guess back up further how did you start thinking about the fact that you wanted to actually make games? Because I feel like that's the conspiracy theory you hear from all sorts of people is that, well, they're, you know, those games writers just get into writing about games so they can go work for a game developer. Uh, <laughs> when, when actually it's a real minority that actually goes in and does that. And then it's an even smaller minority that chooses to do it on their own as opposed to sort of going off to, to work with a studio and be a community manager or, or uh, a role of that sort. So when did you start getting the itch? Well, I never really saw it as a route to game development, but I did. I got the game development itch um, pretty much when I finished university. So back when I was in high school, um, I would always dream of being a games reviewer. That was my my dream was to work for a games magazine and review games for a living. And that seemed like the best possible life. Um, and then I'm not sure why exactly, but uh, by the time I finished university, I had a little bit of a gap before I found a job uh, or found a place to live. Even I was just living with my parents for a couple of months. Um, and since I was kind of, I was just waiting to hear back from various places to, you know, find out if I could live there. Um, so I had some spare time and I did two things. I wrote a, a pilot for a TV um, series, like a sort of sci-fi thing, <laughs> which was, you know, the, there was no way this was ever getting made. It would be like a really high budget thing, like sort of Firefly type thing. <laughs> um, Clearly you're going to sell that right out of the gate. <laughs> yeah, well, like I wrote that and then around that time uh, or shortly after, um, Futurama got cancelled, and so did Firefly. And it was like, <laughs> okay, if the creator of The Simpsons and the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, neither of them can make a sci-fi series work, <laughs> I'm probably not going to write a sci-fi series that's going to work. That was the perfect time to submit my scripts and handle <laughs> everything on this. One dream. Exactly. But then the other thing I did, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, really. I was, I was um, half thinking about being a novelist and uh, half thinking about you know writing for TV, half thinking about designing games. And so one of the things I did was I just tried to write a design document for a game. And the reason, obviously, like, you know, any indie developer today will tell you, you don't write a design document. And that's not game design. Game design is you actually try making the game. Um, and you might have a design document, but you kind of adjust it as you go and that kind of stuff. And just sitting there writing about game design is not actually game design. Um, but back then, like, the indie scene uh, was very obscure. Like, you know, this is way before Darwinia, way before um, any of the big name indies. And when, when are we? When, can you contextualize this? Like, when, when is this specifically? Like, what what year years are we talking about? This would be two thousand and three. Okay. Um, and back then, like, the only games I liked were um, really major games. They were, you know, Half Life, Deus Ex, um, that kind of stuff. And so I really wanted to, like, I I loved games, and I kept having ideas for them. And I had previously, like. I would email the lead designer of whatever game I was playing and just suggest things to them. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> I had a, an ongoing email exchange actually with um, James Wilson, who is the um, a designer on Blood. Do you remember Blood? Uh-huh. And uh, the lead designer of Blood 2. And then, of course, later on, he uh, ended up designing Diablo 3. Um, 
And back when he was working on Blood 2, I was the biggest fan in the world of Blood. I absolutely loved it. And I was... Uh, I would email him just every day to tell him like, oh, you should add this weapon and you should have a weapon that does this and you should do this and this and this. Blood, um, Blood was a um, a build engine game and then Blood 2, did that did that actually go 3D at that point? I'm trying to... Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I'm remember, I, was, I, I fucking loved Blood. Like that, I, I'm a huge horror sort of guy and like when I was first getting into that stuff when I was, when I was younger, I, I mean, Blood just played upon all of that stuff to the nth degree. Yeah, it had so many like horror references in it and stuff, and um, I just love the kind of the general uh, bloodthirstiness of it, like just the fact that everyone's screaming all the time. Oh, yeah, it it just does not care. Like that game just goes for it in in a really endearing way. That you know, like the the care that those designers had for its influences and the game they were making, like is utterly clear from from the game when you play it. Yeah. And uh, James Wilson was really polite, and he would reply to my suggestions and say, oh, you know, actually, some of the stuff you're suggesting is quite close to what we're doing, and, you know, it would explain why some of my other ideas wouldn't work. So I was always really into um, having ideas for games, uh, but it was just totally ingrained in me that also I could never do this. This was never a job opportunity. Like, there's no way. It was like wanting to be the CEO of a company, right? Like, you can't just start as that. You have to <laughs> do all the other <laughs> things in between beforehand. Because my only conception of great games was games made by several hundred people over several years uh, with budgets of, uh, I didn't know what the budgets were back then, but I knew it was more money than I would ever have. Um, so there was no possibility of me ever being, me ever doing the job that I, that I would like to do, which is being in charge of a game and deciding how everything should be and, you know, being the, the lead designer on something. Um, and so I pretty much just gave up on it. I, I, I wrote this design document in my um, little gap month. Um, and I was really, really excited doing it. I loved doing it. I really enjoyed thinking about these things. And I kind of, in the back of my head, I thought, you know, this is probably what I'm supposed to do. Like, I, I enjoy this so much. I'm excited to get up in the morning to do it. And I work on it late at night. And then I get up the next morning even earlier to, to get a head start on it. Um, and I just never tire of thinking about it. But it's also completely impossible. There's no way anyone can actually ever do this um, unless you, you know, just happen to get the right career path through a developer. And it was... I didn't want to do any other job at development. I didn't want to be an artist or a programmer or a, or a tester or anything below supreme game design, <laughs> like Lord. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, once you get that on your business card, then then you know you've made it. <laughs> exactly. In fact, that I should make that my job title at my current. <laughs> no, there's nothing stopping you except actually, you know, printing it out at the <laughs> at the printer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, but I was, you know, I was quite practical about it. I knew that was not a possibility. I couldn't do that. So I just, I moved pretty much arbitrarily. I just um, moved to a city where a friend of mine happened to live because um, I just wanted someone to live with. And that happened to be Bath. And that, uh, like, six months down the line, I found out that that was where PC Gaming were based. And they had an, an opening. And then suddenly I was like, I was living my dream, right? I, this was my dream in high school is I always wanted to be a games reviewer. So that was... I'd forgotten about game development, basically. I just skipped straight to the <laughs> the thing I wanted to do back when I was in high school. Um, and it was awesome. And so it wasn't until um, basically during my time at PC Gamer, the indie scene started to get really interesting. And it was, I think, Darwinia was probably the first indie game that kind of entered my top 10 games of all time. Like, that was when I realized, like, okay, a game made essentially by one guy is now one of my favorite games of all time. So that's a thing that a person can actually do. And I still didn't feel like I could do it. It was still way beyond because Chris DeLay, the designer and programmer and level designer and, you know, almost all of the creative roles on Darwinia, um, 
he's a complete prodigy and a genius in every possible way. And I was, uh, uh, I never had the sense that I could be anything like that. Um, but it started to, it just sort of started that, that seed of, hmm, hang on, like, you know, games made by small teams can actually be as good as games made by huge teams. And that, you know, the number of people you have working for you is not really the limit on how good your game can be. And so when it's one thing to, to look at that and be like, okay, that's, it's feasible. I can do that. I can, you can see the path. Uh, I'm sure the amount of people who have downloaded, you know, a trial of Game Maker or Unity is countless. But the people, you know, actually taking these ambitions and, and this passion and then saying, okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. You know, when, when did it go from, hey, I should probably go and do that to I'm starting to spend my nights trying to put this thing together? It was... Uh, it was pretty much uh, shortly after I played Splunky, um, which I was uh, obsessed with, and I just thought it was an absolutely incredible game. And clearly, didn't although it's uh, the art in it is really good. There isn't that much art in it. Like it didn't seem like it took a huge number of people to make that game. Um, and the programming side of it seemed like I couldn't do any programming really at the time. But I kind of felt like um, uh, it wasn't so complex that I could never even approach a project of that size. And uh, it was just so incredibly good. It was one of my top 10 games of all time. And uh, I heard at some point that it was made in a thing called Game Maker. So I, just just from the name, it sounded like, well, that's the thing I could probably use. Right? <laughs> it's called Game Maker. <laughs> it, it, it's probably sort of aimed at people who will understand that title. <laughs> so um, I just downloaded the free trial. And actually, I did the built-in tutorial, which is pretty good. Um, and Game Maker itself is, is very, very approachable. It's all, you don't have to write any code right away. You can just do drag and drop things um, and sort of make these objects that have certain behaviors and um, just sort of pick those from menus. And I followed the, the inbuilt tutorial. And then funnily enough, the other tutorial I followed was one by Derek Yu, the creator of Splunky, um, because as well as you know working in Game Maker himself, he um, he runs TigSource, and on the TigSource forums, he does his own tutorials for Game Maker to help other people get into development. Um, and he's great at kind of, you know, uh, encouraging people to get started and explaining the kind of basics of it. Um, and pretty much that was all I needed. Just those two tutorials were enough to just get me to that point where uh, you make a character that can move around a level. And as soon as you do that, like the sort of... Um, the, the spark has happened, right? As soon as you see that, you're suddenly like, I made that, that happened because of the, the, the stuff that I did in this editor. And so from then on, it was, it was very easy to stay motivated about it. It was very easy to carry on with that and keep developing it. And that first test project was Gunpoint. I never started again. It was just that, that like uh, dark gray room with black blocks <laughs> and uh, sort of <laughs> a, a dark brown square that was the player. I just kept on developing that um, until I put in my own art and then... Um, about a year in, I had a really ugly version of, of Gunpoint with the crosslink in it and um, most of the mechanics that I kind of wanted to, to have in and 10 levels, I think it was. And I just showed a video of that and said, um, you know, clearly I need art help. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> This is not an acceptable look for the game. So if anyone wants to help with this, at the time I still thought it was going to be a free game, so I wasn't offering any money. I was just saying like, um, this is probably going to be a free project. Um, if anyone wants to just contribute some art, that would be awesome. Just send me like a sample. Um, and 35 people did submit art samples. And, That's amazing. Uh, yeah, they were all really, really good. Um, so I had loads to choose from. And then obviously once it did become a commercial thing, we uh, did a profit share thing where, you know, everyone gets a percentage of the of our earnings. 
but everyone who worked on it um, joined at a time when we still thought it might be free. So everyone joined thinking that they wouldn't get any money from it. So everyone kind of joined just out of enthusiasm, basically. And, and so when you you know started getting past just you know getting to grips with Game Maker and sort of the very basics of how you start piecing these things together so that you can have something represented on screen, you know, what did you what did you find to be where you started hitting boundaries of, I mean, obviously art and music, you know, you know, kind of, you went outside for that, but like in terms of actually building the game out, where did you start to hit the first barriers of, okay, I need to go and do some more, some outside research, or I need to start figuring out how to do some light programming in order to get the things that I want uh, in the game itself? Uh, definitely collision. So just getting your character to like stop when he hits a wall without going into the wall and without bouncing too far out of the wall turns out to be just insanely difficult. <laughs> just like an endless problem. And I looked up loads of stuff, um, loads of advice from other programmers, but they all basically just say it's a nightmare. <laughs> like, <laughs> no one's out there saying, oh, collision's really easy. You don't, you don't need to worry about that. Um, so there doesn't seem to be like a great system for it. But it was that was really indicative of my like general experience with it, was that a bunch of things that I thought were really simple were really, really hard. And then things that I thought were really hard were really simple. So getting like my character, Conway, to not embed himself in a wall when he jumps at it was really, really difficult. And I had to rewrite the collision engine about seven different times, like completely from scratch. I would just, I would, each time I thought I had the way of doing it that was really rigorous and logical and would work in every situation and be robust. And then it would break and I'd try and fix it and it would break and I'd try and fix it and it would break. And I realized my whole system is shit. I need to start again. And <laughs> went through that whole cycle seven times until I actually, I, I still haven't really fixed it perfectly. There's still some glitches you can get in gunpoint, but it's as good as it's going to get. It's got to the point where every time I, I redo it now, I make it worse. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just leaving it as it is. Um, and then stuff like, you know, the crosslink, which is a really advanced idea and a really kind of complicated, well, not a complicated mechanic, but a kind of a mechanic that can lead to complicated situations. Um, from what I'd, I'd known of developers as a journalist, um, I always thought that if you, if you give the player a lot of power, a lot of freedom and a lot of flexibility, that's a nightmare and your game will be a, you know, a testing nightmare and it'll be really difficult to debug and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't find that to be true at all. It was like I found if you give, if you make systems that work in every context, those are very reliable and very simple to code. And because uh, that's kind of how computers want to work. They want, they want rules to apply in every situation. They don't like special cases and they don't like scripting and they don't like um, you know, anything that's preordained by the designer. They like simple rules that apply in every situation. And um, in a certain context, so does you know, design and levels. Um, if you if you build all your levels knowing that the player can at any time link anything that's on the red circuit to anything else that's on the red circuit, then it's not a problem that the player can do that. That's just, you know, how the game works. I mean, it definitely felt like when you're in Crosslink and even just the way the, the text is written, you know, obviously it's an abstraction of the code and how it's working underneath, but it, it's very plain in saying like, you know, this will cause this. And so it seems like that that translates to, you know, your description of being surprised how simple it was, you know, relatively so to implement that on, on a code level because it is a case of, well, you do this and that happens. You know, there's not there's not a lot of, you know, expression or confusion in that. It's very much A causes B and then you're just moving the letters around based on, you know, the different different ways you're manipulating it. 
Yeah, it all it all seems very logical to me, and you know, it seemed logical in my head before I made it, and then once I had made it, um, writing the code was simple because the the ideas that seemed logical in my head turned out to be also logical in code. You know, the the game had no trouble understanding what I meant by it, and um, uh, every device in the game, when you link it to something else, um, it just when it's activated, it sends a signal to that other thing that just says activate. And the device itself doesn't know what will happen in response to that. Maybe nothing will happen. Um, if it's a light switch and you activate a light switch and the light switch itself isn't connected to anything else, nothing happens at all. Um, but it's very simple to code. And really the only difficulties I had with it was that sometimes, although it was very inherently logical to me, sometimes people didn't, uh, they struggled to learn how it worked. And the main problem I had was that a lot of people didn't grasp that connections are one way. So if you connect a light switch to a light, that's different to connecting a light to a light switch. Mm. Um, it's because the signal travels in a certain direction. And when you flick a light switch, it has to know where the signal is going out to. Um, and if, if connections were two way, then the light switch would activate the light and the light would activate the light switch and the two would just flick on and off indefinitely. <laughs> and you can do that in, in gunpoint, but that's not obviously the default way connections work because it would be a nightmare. Um, so it seems like totally logical to me that that would be how it would work. Like connections would have to be one way because otherwise it would create all these problems. Um, but it's obviously not intuitive to a certain percentage of players. And so every playtest I do, I find new people who don't get that. And um, that first level where you use the crosslink and you have to connect a light switch to a door, which is like the most basic sort of subversion that you do in Gunpoint. Um, I still see people connecting the door to the light switch. And that's why I added the thing where... Um, the hover over text tells you, you know, this switch will activate nothing or this switch will activate a door. If you wire it up right, it will say this switch will activate a door. If you don't, it will say this switch activates nothing. So you kind of, you at least get the idea that even though you've drawn a line between the two, um, you know, if you hover over the switch, it will say it won't activate anything. If you hover over the door, it will say this door will activate a light switch, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I got uh, the sense playing the game that and I don't know if this is true, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed a lot of it was uh, very organic in terms of you put in one thing, you see the opportunities that opens up, and then other things are tweaked as a result. I mean, you saw that go as far as, uh, or maybe it was just the most obvious in in the achievements in, in Steam, you know, where I by you know completely by accident smashed the door against my character. And then something popped up, you know, just telling you, you know, like, hey, that's funny. Nice job doing that. And it seemed, it's like, I wonder how, you know, obviously that makes sense to be, you know, sort of like wall breaking for the achievements. But did that translate to like the design and the tweaks you made to what the player was capable of doing as you, you did the play testing and realized, oh, you know, people are subverting the game or using this mechanic in this way. I can actually add that as an official thing the game recognizes rather than just being you know, the player kind of working around uh, with what's possible. Yeah, it was mostly in response to things that I tried in my playtests. Um, but yeah, so the first time, you know, if you're setting up the system where there are locked doors and the guards can open them from either side, but the guards don't use the door directly. They use a hand scanner. The hand scanner is linked to the door and that fits very well into the, you know, the electronic system where things are linked to each other. Um, and obviously if they're using the door from the left-hand side, they're expecting it to open away from them, probably. Like, if it opens in their face, that's a bit weird. Um, and so I, you know, I set up the doors to always open away from the guard who's using them or away from whatever's activating them. Um, and then 
uh, discovered that, of course, you can rewire that and you can um, change that around so that when a guard tries to use it, it opens in the opposite direction and the door would um, open in a way that looks like it should collide with the guard, but of course it didn't back then because I'd never coded that. Um, and as soon as I realized you could do that, I realized, well, they, like if the door suddenly swings open the guard's face, that should probably knock him out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that took like no time to implement. It was just like, okay, if door hits guard, then guard falls over and makes a smack noise. <laughs> and uh, that first implementation of that, um, I thought that was just a, like a rough prototype that would be like, okay, let's just see if this if this is entertaining to do. And then later on, obviously, we'll add in a full animation. We'll pick our own custom sound effect. But just the guard instantaneously falling flat on his face and making a smack noise, the same punch noise that you, you get when you hit them, <laughs> just turned out to feel really, really good and just be inherently funny. And it like I was still kind of thinking I would I would, you know, put some do a like a polish pass on that at some point. But the response to it by testers was so universally positive. Like everyone said how good it felt, how good it sounded, how how funny it was and everything. I just thought, okay, I'm not touching that at all. <laughs> like that's done. Although, I mean, the way it plays out, like, it's just like a thwack. Like, it just hap It's so quick, and, like, the game doesn't make any big deal about it. By the time you realize it's happened, you know, if you're not planning for it, I think, you know, that's part of what made it so funny the first time I encountered it was because I just hadn't realized what the hell I was doing. And that the <laughs> game's the game's subtle recognition, you know, through the achievement, but otherwise just sort of like, you dumbass. You know, I mean, it just... <laughs> it, it, that, that The humor came out of, I think... Uh, just how nonchalant it was about what you were doing. Whereas I think it would have been very easy to overplay your hand on sort of exploiting the, the humor of the situation. Yeah, exactly. Like a, a lot of the, um, uh, a lot of the kind of knack to getting this stuff to, to work well is knowing when to stop. And it's, it's really good to not have a very specific idea of, you know, how this is going to work. Like if you just, if you try something and it's funny to you, and then you send it to testers and it's funny to them, your job is done. You don't need to do anything else at all. And it would be it would be really easy to carry on trying to polish it and trying to make it better and better and better. But I just had this policy of like, I've got so much to do. Like this is a huge amount of work to finish a game just to get it, just to get everything working. That um, the idea of improving something that people already like just became absurd by the end of it. It was just like, I had a bunch <laughs> of things on my to-do list. So it was like, okay, make this better and make this better and make this better. And then I look down those things and think, is anyone complaining about this? Is, does anyone have a problem with the stairs? Does anyone have a problem with the door bash? And no, they don't. Everyone's fine with it. So I just realized, like, um, I did a huge amount of cutting like that, like loads and loads of things that I, I always assumed I was going to come back and improve upon. I just realized, actually, if you, like, if you're just testing regularly enough, then sometimes your first draft of something is good enough. And if testers don't have a problem with it, and if you don't have a problem with it, then it's done. You can just move on. What, what did your your coworkers at, at PC Gamer think about like you know you working on this and that like were you were you constantly using them as, as playtesters and like was it something that like you brought up at work all the time or was this something that kind of just happened on the side and you kind of just kind of left it to to yourself? Um, I talked to my editor Graham a lot about it. Um, I talked to all of them a little bit about it, but uh, Graham in particular. Um, he's really into indie games and we have very similar tastes in games. So I kind of value his opinion a lot. So I would use him as a sounding board. Um, and, uh, he was really helpful in, you know, uh, uh, anytime I was unsure about something, I would, you know, come to him and whatever his opinion was would usually be the way I ended up going. Um, and I, most of the time I didn't 
use uh, PC Gamer as playtesters, but there was one time when um, I just kind of got my one of my big test builds ready, and I was having a party, possibly a birthday party, I'm not sure. My game, they're at my house. They can they can just go, go to a bedroom <laughs> and, and play it on my PC. And then I thought, actually, this is really valuable testing feedback. Like, it would be great to watch them play it, because that's the thing you don't get to do very much, except at you know, events and stuff, which mm-hmm. I'd, I'd had no events at that time. Um, and it would be great to just see what people try and kind of see their reactions when they die and that kind of thing. Um, but also, I didn't want to spend my whole party just standing in my room watching people play my game. <laughs> like that seemed a bit self-indulgent. So I did something that was a, like a little bit weird. Um, but I um, I stressed that it was totally voluntary and you know, anyone was totally free to not do it. But if they did want to play my game and they were uh, okay with this, I would like to leave my camera recording them playing it. <laughs> so it was literally just a camera on a tripod behind them, and it would it would record the screen and also them a little bit. Um, so that if I could see what they were doing in the game and I could also see how they were reacting to it in real life, which is really good feedback. But it did feel, um, they were all happy with it. Everyone seemed fine with that. Um, but then watching it back, I started to feel like the world's biggest creep. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm kind of spying on my friends playing my own game. This is really strange. Um, but it was really useful. Um, so yeah, uh, the... The other, the other, like, kind of reaction from the PC gamer people, well, one was um, uh, it was really useful to have just, they didn't need to be games journalists exactly, but just people who play games and buy games and are really into games, having those people around and talking to them in the pub about what you're working on and uh, what you're thinking of doing is really, really handy. Um, at one point, I was thinking of... Um, if I did sort of extra levels after release, I was thinking of making them free, but only if you have the exclusive edition of the game. So if you bought the, the $30 edition, then you get the updates for free. And if you don't have that edition, then you have to buy that edition to get those updates. And I said this to my friend Owen, who was our web editor at the time, and he said, oh, that's bullshit, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, he's a really, really nice, really friendly guy. He almost never says anything negative, but it just like the second he heard that, he's like, oh, no, man, that's fucking bullshit. Don't do that. <laughs> and uh his reaction was so strong i was just like okay i'm not doing that that's clearly i've, I've crossed some line there and i'm not like in my head it made sense but as soon as he said that i kind of thought yeah that is kind of bullshit i shouldn't do that um and basically kind of it really helps clarify your thinking like his uh, I, I talked to him for a while about okay but if i did this as dlc and it was you had to pay for it would that be acceptable and um we went back and forth on that for a little while um it was all purely hypothetical i didn't have any i didn't know what i'd be doing after release um but basically it came came down to this like fundamental theory that um the game itself has to be the same for everyone like the the actual core game and anything that you give to people who buy a special edition has to be like um i've got director's commentary the soundtrack uh prototypes from early versions and um other stuff like that but the actual core game doesn't change ever so that i like knowing that now i would never do like an exclusive weapon or uh, exclusive levels or any kind of like real content all of that stuff should be the same for everyone who has the game and uh, that was I think I probably could have come to that conclusion myself eventually but um, uh, you kind of get caught up in your own design ideas like you're thinking oh this this thing would be so cool and it would be a good way to reward this particular group of people and then once you put that idea in front of a real gamer and they just say that's bullshit <laughs> you kind of <laughs> you sort yourself out pretty quickly did, did you find that 
your work, writing about games, talking to developers, sort of the general experience that a lot of us have, uh, and that we're having right now, you know, talking, you know, just generally talking to people that make games and then, you know, going on to write about them or, or critique them. Like, did you find any of that translated and, and was useful and was like, you know, actually applicable when you were actually making a game yourself? Yeah, quite a lot, actually. Um, there was maybe not as much from interviews as as it should have. <laughs> like, <laughs> was, so one thing I discovered, like at the end of Gunpoint, um, a, Gunpoint's fairly short. It's under three hours, really. Um, and I, kinda, I already knew that would be the biggest complaint about it when I, in reviews and stuff. Uh, well, I, I hope that would be the biggest complaint about it. Because <laughs> There could have been anything else, but um, uh, I knew uh, at the very least people would complain about that. Um, and uh, then, like, I just sort of didn't have any more levels in me. I kind of I'd run out of ideas, I'd run out of time, I'd run out of everything. And it also felt like a na fairly natural length for the story that I was trying to write. Um, but by the end of it, I was like, because I knew this was going to be a big problem, and levels had taken me a huge amount of time as well. Like, just getting those levels done was a huge drain on... Um, the time it took to complete the game that uh i started to think you know i really should have done just a level generator just a you know a random level generator um and i knew that would be hard and that's why i didn't do it because when i started the project i thought well that would be really hard so i won't do it I'll, I'll just make levels by hand and that'll be easy but it turns out that making levels by hand is also really hard and massively time consuming and at the end of it you've got a finite number of levels whereas a level generator as hard as it might be at the end of it you've got infinite number of levels and um, it was only after I kind of came to that decision that I realized um, years and years ago, like way back in sort of 2004, 2005, maybe, um, uh, Chris DeLay, the designer of Darwinia, was talking about Darwinia and the fact that it only had 10 levels and just said that as an indie, creating content kills you. It's just massively time consuming. It's really arduous. And no matter how much of it you make, your primary complaint will always be you haven't made enough of it. Um, and so he told me that all those years ago, and I just kind of forgot. <laughs> and so I ended up making, you know, a game with handcrafted levels that, yes, they took me ages. And yes, the main complaint about Gunpoint is that it's too short. Um, <laughs> so I should have taken that advice on much more, <laughs> uh, much more wholeheartedly. But uh, reviewing games definitely helped as well. Like, you know, I think it's um, hopefully it kind of shows that um, Gunpoint very intentionally avoids certain things that... Um, that I and other reviewers frequently complain about in games, such as, you know, unskippable conversations and story stuff. Like, I try to write a, a story in Gunpoint that uh, people wouldn't want to skip, but then I also let them skip it. Like, you can skip everything. Like, every time anyone opens their mouth, you can just say, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you have the option to literally hang up on them mid-conversation. Even if there's going to be a massively important plot decision to make later in that conversation, you can just hang up before you even get to it because I, um, I'd reviewed so many games where I just didn't give a shit about the plot. And the game obviously assumed I would give a shit about the plot and made all of its stuff unskippable. And uh, you just realize, like, no matter how determined you are for the player to enjoy your plot, it's not worth actually forcing them to. <laughs> like, if they don't like it and they want to skip it, they're not going to get anything out of it by you forcing them to watch it. Like they, they've already disengaged at that point. They already hate you. They already, they just want to play the next bit of the game. So there's no point in trying to force them to, to see your story. Um, so if they don't like it, just let them skip it. Let them get to the actual game, which is the important thing. And, and you know, for, for people 
you know, I, you know, a lot of the the commentary I've read around the game is a lot of people being, you know, obviously really impressed. This was, you know, your first game. You worked on it for a long period of time, but for this your, you know, first game right out of the gate, it's it's extremely impressive. You know, having gone through that whole process, having, you know, no programming skills, like just downloading something like Game Maker. Like, do you have, like a, you know, a, a piece of advice or you know, sort of lesson that you've taken away from this experience that for people that are, you know, thinking, well, maybe I can do this too if this guy did it. Like, is there something that sort of calls out to you that you would want to pass on to other folks? Yeah, definitely. Um, basically, like, it's not that everyone should make a game, and it's not that everyone can make a game, uh, and it's certainly not that it's easy, but it is, um, by now, with the improvement in tools that, uh, that have been made and um, the indie revolution, it's really easy to find out whether you can make a game. So just get Game Maker um, and just try it, and you will find out fairly quickly whether it's for you or not. Like I didn't, you know, my first weekend with Game Maker, I certainly didn't make a game. <laughs> I followed a couple of tutorials and I had a bunch of garbage that didn't work, but I already knew at that point, okay, this is for me, I can do this. Like this is really exciting. I love, I love, even though I've made very small progress, I'm enjoying the progress I've made and you know, the magic was there. Like it was the, the translation between my effort and the reward was um, easily good enough right off the bat. So. It's not easy to make a game, but it's really easy to find out whether you should make a game. So just give it a go, basically. And I put that off for years and years and years. I should have done it like at least four or five years sooner than I did. Cool. Well, hey, I appreciate you uh, spending uh, some time. It's so late for you, but that's... I. <laughs> but no yeah. worries. Uh, thanks a lot for talking to me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Take, uh, I'll, be, I'll be in touch if anything else comes up, but, uh, but otherwise, uh, yeah, thanks for your time. Awesome. Cheers, Patrick. Yep, take care. All right, bye.